0: Carl Zimmerman wrote a very important book called Family and Civilization that was the uh, collaborative work uh, researching 3,000 years of human civilization and family. In that book, he makes a powerful case for the traditional structure of the family. In that book, Zimmerman gives seven warning signs to a declining nation. How do you know when a nation's in decline? He gives seven ways to know. First is an increased divorce rate. Quick and easy and no-fault divorce, he calls it. The second one is the failure to understand the permanence of the marriage model. The third one is for families to loosen their standards in order to solve social problems. The fourth, a lack of respect to parental authority. The fifth, a promotion of cohabitation over marriage. The sixth, the breakdown of most inhibitions against adultery. The last one is acceptance of all forms of sexuality. Dr. Zimmerman wrote, as we watch the destruction of the family, so we simultaneously watch the collapse of society. Now what you need to know about Dr. Zimmerman is he was a Harvard professor, a secular historian, He never claimed to be a Christian, and he wrote that book in 1947. If he was saved, we'd call him a prophet. Little House on the Prairie is a long way from the real housewives of Orange County. Those are two worlds apart. Somehow we went from the Cleaver family to the Brady Bunch to Roseanne to Murphy Brown... To the Osbournes, to Who's My Daddy, to Wife Swap, to Desperate Housewives. The entire American family life has had an extreme makeover and it's not been an improvement. If TV's a reflection of society, the American family is in deep trouble. We're calling this series Modern Family. I don't have to quote endless statistics to you to tell you what you already know in your gut. The family's broke. And Dr. Zimmerman would argue from a secular historical viewpoint that when the family's broke, the society's broke. And I would say when the family's broke, the churches broke. The family is the cornerstone and the building block really of everything good that we know. There are forces at play in American society that are pulling the family apart with unprecedented influence. You and I now live in a culture that's hostile to the family. For generations, society fueled the family. Now you and I are trout swimming upstream trying to figure out how to have a healthy family in a culture that's resistant to it, that's hostile, that's in opposition. Think about All the forces at play, divorce, adultery, abuse, consumerism, economic uh, downturn, general breakdown of the family, the the stresses of the blended and the step family, media and TV and drugs and pornography and crime and violence and a growing agenda to redefine the family, people with a national agenda preying on the minds of the young in educational environments, re-engineering the definition of the family. Work weeks that are longer than they have been in previous generations in American life. In most families, both parents work, leaving children to be raised oftentimes by strangers. And the sheer pace of American life is rancid. You're not going to accidentally have a strong family. You're not going to fall off into it like a hole in the road. There's only one way to, to walk in... God's plan you're gonna to have to do it on purpose and it's gonna take a lot of effort and it's gonna take a lot of focus and it's gonna take a lot of intentionality nobody's gonna take up the slack you don't have those systems inside society those systems have been overwhelmed by the brokenness of the nuclear family in fact to grow a healthy family today you've got to overcome serious opposition now I come to you today not as an expert Experts are people that don't have kids. <laughs> I come to you as a sojourner who has just entered the Great Tribulation as my oldest son has entered teenage, teenage years. And I'm praying, oh, uh, I don't remember whatever it was that I thought I knew about that before. I can't remember any of it now. All that stuff I said in my mind when I was a youth pastor, oh, I'll do this and I won't do that. I, I can't remember any of it, uh, my mind is more often blank than filled with anything. So I don't come to you this morning as an expert, I come to you this morning as a learner and I come to you as a, as a fellow pilgrim on this journey and and uh, I'm always challenged when I do a family series because it it focuses me again on my own home and uh, and it challenges. I'm always challenged by it and so I want to be transparent with you but at the same time I want to challenge you in this series we're gonna look at the challenges of the modern family and we're gonna look at God's God's plan you know the family's God's gift to humanity family is where we wrestle with the greatest issues of life don't we I mean right there in the living room right there around that kitchen table right there in, in the back in the backyard at un- unpredictable times, spontaneous moments, times we don't see coming. You know the thing with family is, is it's just so close. It's so close. It's so personal and it's so present. And it's so there. There are very few words that I could say this morning that would strike such a a variety of emotion in you as the word family. It just means so many things to so many people. Families where we do the majority of our laughing. It's where we do most of our learning. It's where we do most of our crying. It's where we do most of our eating and sleeping and growing. Nobody's going to bring you as much joy as your family. And nobody's going to bring you as much pain as your family. It's a two-edged sword. Psalm 101, I just want to share with you this morning as we introduce this series, is, is a, it doesn't cover everything you'll ever face in your family. But it does give inside it some good thoughts on on God's, God's principles of relationship. Now, let me give you a little background to this psalm. It was written by King David. Really, he was explaining the principles of government that he operated on. Some people think it was written just after he succeeded King Saul. Some people think it was written just after the Ark of the Covenant was returned back to Israel. It doesn't matter. The point is, it was written in a time of great transition. And in the aftermath of that transition, David was scribing this to say, this is how we ought to live. This is how we ought to treat each other. These are the principles that that relationship ought to happen on. And, And these are the principles that, by and large, Israel lived on and kept them prosperous and at peace for years. So what I want to do this morning is look at this psalm and I want to look at it through the eyes of the family. So look at Psalm 101 with me. David writes, I will sing of your love and justice to you, O Lord, I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will walk in my house with blameless heart. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. The deeds of faithless men I hate, they will not cling to me. Men of perverse heart, "...shall be far from me, I will have nothing to do with evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him will I put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence." Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. What's interesting to me is in the first line of this psalm, David establishes the balance of what we often consider two opposites in in governance of people and relationship, love and justice. And you can see inside this psalm sort of oscillating back and forth between love and justice. You find the balance of love and justice in your family, and your relationships, and you will find a jewel of wisdom in living. I want to give you uh, quickly six things this morning. We can't cover every verse, but I just want to highlight a few of them. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot these things down. Out of Psalm 101, I find... More than this But I want to highlight six things And leave Psalm 101 open We're going to refer to it several times I find six things here That David has given us That I think are principles That work really well for the family Here's number one It comes from verse 2 Verse 2 says I will be careful to lead a blameless life When will you come to me I will walk in my house With blameless heart Here's the first thing Live with a blameless heart in your family. Live with a blameless heart in your family. David was saying, to govern well publicly, our walk needs to be blameless in the most tender of places our home. Do you see where he sets out? I'll be careful to live a blameless life. Then he even defines it. I'll walk in my house with a blameless heart. David would have never bought into this malarkey that we've invented in the 21st century that a person's private life has nothing to do with their public service. To him, they were intrinsically connected. And you can't separate a person's private, personal character at home from their public ability to govern or do anything else. So I think one of, the, one of God's great designs is that we would be the same person at home as we are at the office. And the same person at the office as we are at home or at the job site or or in the neighborhood, or in the grocery store. David was saying, walk blamelessly. So what does that mean? And there's a lot of ways to say it. Don't compromise your standards. Walk integrity in your home. Tell your spouse and your children you're sorry. They will think revival has come. When you're wrong in your home, or you find a wrong in your home, make it right. Sometimes I think, uh, these series are so important because It's almost like budgeting and finance Or uh, uh, maybe in your health or your eating habits Whatever we don't focus on Will tend to drift out of control But I think one of the mistakes that we make Inside our relationships, inside our family Is one, things go to a point they can't be brought back It's gone too far now And we, and we, tend, to let them, we tend to let them go Thinking that's preserving the relationship I think you can, at, at times in your family, revisit Crossroads and say, we let things get out of hand. And, and, and we love you and we're going to bring them back. We're going to try to bring those things back into, into a workable uh, arena. If somebody else in your family's wrong, why don't you go to them in private and try to resolve the issue? You know what I found in family relationships? It's easier to be sarcastic than sincere. Anybody else? Do we need an altar call? It's easier to be sarcastic than sincere. Because it's easier to operate out of the attitude that you've allowed in your mind than it is on the path that God's given you. What I, what I think you have to do in a home is you have to walk in a way that the enemy can't get a toehold. Psalm 101 calls that a blameless heart. Don't give the enemy a, a way in. Uh, president Bush 41 was asked once, what is your greatest accomplishment in life? And then the interviewer listed them. You were a World War II Navy pilot. You were eight years as vice president under Ronald Reagan. You were president for one term. You were the head of the CIA. You were an ambassador to China. You were successfully executed uh, Operation Desert Storm. What's your, what's your number one accomplishment? Bush Senior said my number one accomplishment is that my children still come to see me. A blameless heart. Let me give you a definition of a blameless heart. A blameless heart is one that seeks wholeness in relationship above every other priority. Uh, My my kids may not uh, meet my expectations. My expectations might not be fair. On the other hand, they may at times slack. But neither of those are the issue in the long run. The issue in the long run is, is there a whole relationship there? And a blameless heart is one that seeks wholeness and relationship above everything else. Here's the second thing. Verse 3 says, I will set before my eyes no vile thing. Do not honor vile things. Number two, don't honor vile things here's the way I like to say it we shouldn't seek that which we cannot have without sin. we should not entertain those things that we cannot rightfully have without sinfulness so don't allow those things to find a way inside your life what he's saying is not only do I not want to entertain those things not only do I not want to do those things I don't want to look at them I don't I don't want to I don't want to take them in through the uh, openings of my life. So what that would mean is no vile thing. Don't even lay on your kitchen table um, a plan to fill out for the IRS when you're filing taxes if you know you're lying. Don't even put it on the table. Don't entertain it. Don't look at it. Don't ever let your children hear you and your wife talking from your bedroom about how you're going to cut some corner and undermine somebody or cut somebody off or or do something deceitful or wrong. Don't even entertain the plan. Don't let the option come before your eyes. David said, I'll let no vile thing come before my eyes. And there's all kind of things we could talk about there with, uh, with television and the Internet. And as the series unfolds, we'll look at some of those. Here's the third one. Choose your friends wisely. Now, I mean that on every level. Choose your family friends wisely. Choose your personal friends wisely. Verse 4 says, Men of perverse hearts shall be far from me. I'll have nothing to do with evil. Birds of a feather flock together. Show me your three closest friends and I'll show you a mirror. I'll show you you. You are like the people you let closest in your life. The issue you've got to resolve in this one and in this psalm of relationship, when you allow people whose hearts are, are, are too dysfunctional or are evil into your life too deeply, you will eventually pay the price somewhere. You welcome trouble. You set the doormat out for trouble. There seems to be a lot of confusion on this because there, uh, remember what I said the balance was? Love and justice. Justice. But we're a Christian family, we have to care for other people And and we have to act compassionately Yes, you do That's right, 100% But you also have a call, and I want to speak specifically to dads To be the gatekeeper for your family This just might not sound right to you coming from a pastor But I want you to know clearly, and I'll be right up front about it I've looked at my children and I've said These are people that aren't coming to our house these are people that aren't going to be coming into our home. These are friends that you're not going to be talking to on the phone or the internet or, or, or whatever. These are friends that are not spending the night. And so we love them, but I can't see the, 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 the integrity or the Christianity in giving over the most influential members of my family or yours to people who potentially could enact harm on them. Or mislead them, or misguide them. Now, I, I, that that may in a day of in a day of extreme tolerance, that just might sound unchristian. But uh, I want to talk to you dads for a minute. Set the tone. Monitor the relationships of your house. And and when they are or when they are out of order, choose choose your friends wisely. So I will allow no perverse. Those people that bring bad influences into your family, do what you can do to 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 provide some distance. And obviously there comes the age when you don't have that jurisdiction over your children anymore. They they have to make their own choices. But you have the years to train. And you have the years to protect. And those years are yours. I can remember several years ago sitting at a red light at Pensacola, Florida with a guy. And, and this rowdy, uh, criminal-looking gang comes up. They're sitting right by the car, about, about 10 guys. I said, whoa. I think we had come from Brownsville or something. It was late at night. And we're there, and there's no cars around. And they're like feet from the door. And I came to reach it over going, click. And the guy beside me said, whoa, whoa, don't do that. I said, why? He said, don't let them see you locking it. They may think that we think bad of them. I, I didn't know what to say. I said, my concern is not the, is not the self-esteem of the gang members that are eight feet from the car. My concern is the protection of those inside it. God does not call you to evangelize the world by throwing your wife and children to the wolves. And somewhere in family life, we've got to get those things straight. Number four. Let's read this verse. This one's not going to make sense if we don't read it. Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him will I put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him I will not adore. This is a real simple one if you're taking notes. Number four, don't gossip. Is there anybody unclear? (laughs) David's just saying, don't, don't tear people down. Don't deconstruct people. The problem with gossip is is it hurts the person that's saying it, it hurts the person that's hearing it, and it hurts the person that's not there. Nobody wins. It hurts everybody. Have you ever been with someone that you respect deeply? I know that you have. And they started to berate someone, and although you might not have been able to define it, you just lost some respect for them. You just felt bad. You're like, oh, this is is not why I wanted to be around this person. I, I have so much respect for them. I I just wanted to be around someone that I saw with great integrity and now it's turned into this and this feels bad. It feels bad because it is bad. When you allow people to be torn down or you tear them down in front of your family, our family loses respect and value for that person. But in the later years, they'll lose respect for you for doing it. But immediately they lose respect for them and it's damaging. David says, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to silence the slander. Can I tell you the best way to silence the slander? Don't listen to gossip. The Lord gave me maybe the only original insight I've ever had in my life a few years ago. If someone is standing in the woods gossiping and there's no one there to hear it, is it still gossip? If a tree falls in the woods and there's no one there to hear it, does it still make a noise? If a person's standing in the woods gossiping and there's no one there to hear it, is it still gossip? Well, like, No. So the way to silence that Is to not listen The rule that I think you can teach your family That will bless them Is talk to people, don't talk about them And that changes everything Number five Verse six says My eyes will be on the faithful In the land That they may dwell with me Number five Connect with spiritual role models Set up role models for your family. If, as, as I looked through this psalm and I read through this one, this one really challenged me personally because I don't think I've done a, a good enough job by far here. And, and, and I, I just became convicted. Set up role models for your family. What do I mean? Let me be specific. If we were to poll the children in our church and say, who does your dad admire? I bet they could name... A lot, uh, maybe NASCAR drivers and football players and athletes and, and people with great talent but in that list would there be people with character does your family have character heroes and, and I, I admit to you I've, I've not done a good enough job connecting my two boys to those who have character heroes they know what my favorite football team is and I've I've really been convicted over that one but I just want to say to you one of the major traits to look for of a person to set in front of your family is faithfulness have you set people you may not know them personally real well you may not be best friends but have you set either distant or close up role models that you say dad really respects that man mom really really respects that lady This person is a phenomenal person. And it's not attached to something that they don't even have much control over, like their talent. It's attached to something that they've submitted to the work of God and the word of God that's developed deep character in them. And that is an example that everybody can attain to. Everybody can't be a phenomenal athlete, everybody can't be a great race car driver, and everybody can't be a great singer and a great dancer. Everybody can't be all those things and a great actor. But everybody can be great in character because the Holy Spirit produces the fruit. And so I just want to, I'm, I'm very challenged on that one. And I, wanna, I want to uh, share the misery. So I'll pass that one on to you. Does your family have character, he wrote? Here's the last one. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. I'm going to ask our musicians to come now. The sixth one is, give influence, give family influence, and give people influence over your family. Uh, Give it to people with integrity. Give influence over your wife, over your husband, over your children. Give influence to people who have integrity whose walk is blameless it kind of came full circle didn't it David said I want to have a blameless heart and now we've come full circle and said by the way I'm gonna let people with blameless hearts minister to me do you know you have control over who ministers to you you don't have to let every every word of wisdom and every philosophy and everything that sounds wise and everybody's good intention you don't have to receive all those things into your life a big deal for me on who ministers to my family is their life. That's why, I, that's why I tend to not be as open for my family over being ministered to by strangers. It, there are environments where that's obviously... In the aftermath of Katrina, we were very open. Uh, and, 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 and we had phenomenal experiences. But when you start to give the heart and mind of your family over to someone... Make sure you know what you're doing. What I never understood, and I'm, I just use this as an example, not to I don't want to tear anybody down, whether they're famous or completely unknown. But, but I look at the people in, in a way, for example, that follow, uh, that follow Oprah and talk shows. And, and I, there, there is oftentimes practical advice that's helpful offered on some of those shows. But, but I can't, for the life of me figure out how we've lifted a woman up who's an advice giver to the family who doesn't have one. A person who has no children telling people how to parent. Well, I was an expert till I had kids. Now I like got them, and I don't know nothing. And they're starting to figure that out. <laughs> and it's getting scary. Isn't it ironic that most of the the marriage experts we have are divorced? Most of the parent experts don't have kids. Hey, I want to give you some wisdom from God's Word today. They might not be famous. They might not win awards anywhere. They might not make millions of dollars. But you have heroes. You have people of character. You have people of faith. You have people who've slugged it out in the best and worst of circumstances who can minister to you. And I just want to encourage you, open your heart to them. Jesus' character takes so many external forms that you can't recognize it just by looking at the way somebody looks. But you watch people's lives and I encourage you to let let people influence you who, who live in integrity. Nobody's perfect. Everybody has flaws. The closer we get, the bigger, they, the bigger the flaws look. But you know the difference. Let people in the life of your family who have integrity, some level of faithfulness to God, and I'm telling you, your family will be blessed. Family heroes. Would you stand with me this morning?